you know, some of my other favorite days are, are the big spring touring days down on the, the east side where you're, you're skiing 8,000 vert runs, you know, from 13 plus to 14,000 feet down to the high desert in the sagebrush at 7,000 feet. Episode 338, Skiing, Snowboarding, and Mountain Biking with Jeremy Benson. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening in to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Kurt here. Hey, today I have Jeremy Benson with us, and Jeremy is a sponsored skier, He's also a mountain bike racer. He's out in Tahoe, living the dream. And so Jeremy grew up in Connecticut. And after college, he and a bunch of his college buddies moved to Tahoe. And Jeremy has been there for quite a while now, sorting out how to live an adventure-based lifestyle. He's also the author of a couple of books, Backcountry Ski and Snowboard Routes of California, and also Mountain Bike Tahoe. Both of these books came out this year which is really awesome. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Ah, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, man, it's our it's our pleasure. So I got to hear the story, a little bit of the backstory. So you grew up in Connecticut, and you uh, went to college, and then a bunch of your buddies and you came out to Tahoe. So, you know, that's that's bullet points, but what got you thinking Tahoe? Uh, the Tahoe thing was sort of, um, it just sort of happened. Uh, a friend of mine in college, her older brother, uh, was already living out in Lake Tahoe. Um, and when it came time to sort of choose a, uh, a Western destination to move, um, it sort of seemed most convenient to come to Tahoe because we sort of had a, a contact person there. Um, so that was pretty much the main reason (laughs) Actually. Okay, so it, you said it, it came to be time for a Western destination. So mm-hmm. why that? Why time for a Western destination? Well, um, the, the group of friends that I moved out here with and myself, we were all um, really into skiing uh, in college. Um, you know, myself, I, I scheduled my, my class schedule around skiing <laughs> as a student. Um, and I was able to ski you know, up to five days a week as a full-time student in college. And, uh, when it came time to, to figure out what to do after college, I figured that I just wanted to ski for a season and, and, and do that and, and see what it was all about. I'd never really spent more than a week out West as, as a skier. So, so um, it seemed kind of like that glamorous, you know, take a year and go skiing after school kind of thing. And, uh, decided to just to just go for it before I got a real job. <laughs> and so you're still in Tahoe now. How many years ago was that? Uh, I moved out here in the fall of 2001. So I've been out here for a little over 16 years now. 16 years. So your one year in Tahoe, it, it kind of stuck, huh? Absolutely. Yeah. It uh, <laughs> One year in Tahoe is nowhere near enough. Um, <laughs> it This place is, for me, it's paradise. You know, there's, it's incredible. It's so beautiful and everything I like to do. Uh, it's happening right here and it, you know, I, I couldn't be happier living here. Mm, that's cool. Well, what was your college degree just out of curiosity? Well, I, I started college as an engineering student. Uh, I wanted to design 
skis and, you know, things like that. Um, after the first year of college, uh, I decided that <laughs> I didn't like working as hard as I possibly could and getting C's. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to ski a little bit more. So I, I changed my major to uh, business. Um, I did a little bit of uh, a little bit of a marketing focus in that. And uh, that opened up a little more time for me to ski and play. And also, um, you know, got me into kind of marketing and I did some internships uh, in the ski industry and stuff when I was in college as well. So, um, you know, it, it suited my interests uh, pretty well at that time. So you graduate from college and you say, okay, we got, we got to go out West for a year and, and do this before life gets complicated. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but not everybody feels like they can do that. Were there obstacles to overcome to get out there? Um, you know, it, it was, wasn't that hard. You know, we, you know, you have to kind of cut some ties. You know, I had some summer jobs that summer and, and I went home, spent like two weeks at home with my family and, and pretty much just loaded up my old, you know, beater pickup truck with virtually everything that I owned. So all my skis, my bikes, you know, clothes and a little bit of furniture. And we kind of caravaned uh, across the country as a group. Um, so one of the biggest obstacles was driving a 1988 Mazda pickup clear across the country in, you know, five days. <laughs> <laughs> I, w I wasn't quite sure it was going to make it, but, uh, it did. Um, and you know, beyond that, one of the biggest obstacles was just showing up in Tahoe with everything you own and kind of no real plan. You know, you're sort of running on the seat of your pants at that point. You don't really, it's hard to rent a place from across the country. Um, and also just having a job lined up, things like that. You sort of need to be present to make those things happen. So there's definitely a little, uh, a little period of uncertainty just showing up out here, but, uh, uh, we worked it all out. Did you say an 88 Mazda? Yeah, it was a 1988, uh, Mazda pickup that I had and that was 2001. So it wasn't, you know, it was a 13 year old truck at the time, but it was, it was an East coast truck. So it was all rusted out and, <laughs> right. and, and beat up, you know? <laughs> well, the reason I kind of chuckle at that is, is my own story. I graduated from college and I, uh, the day after I graduated, jumped in my 1988 Bronco <laughs> and mm -hmm. headed to Colorado. And it was there just kind of the same thing. It was like, you know, you get here and you figure it out because I yeah. wanted to be here, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. And so you did the same thing in Tahoe. I, I got to ask, though, what did your friends, what did your family say? Were they like, dude, what are you doing? Go get a job. <laughs> uh, a little bit. You know, my mom, definitely, my, my, my mom and my, um, my stepdad are both teachers. Um, and, you know, they were, they had a little bit of concern about me um, just, just going out and, and not getting a job right away. And that concern carried over for a number of years uh, after the first year that I was out here. <laughs> and they're like, so, okay, your year's uh, over. Your next year's yeah. over. Wait a minute, dude, it's yeah. three years now. <laughs> yeah. And so on. So it, it just kind of, that went on and on. Um, it definitely, yeah, there was a little bit of concern uh, on the family level. Uh, my friends, uh, a lot of them kind of understood a number of them went straight into, um, you know, office type jobs or, things of that nature right out of school and were clearly not 
as happy as I was uh, doing what I was doing. And, you know, I think there's maybe a little bit of jealousy <laughs> at times and, um, yeah, it's definitely a different path than a lot of East coast people tend to take right out of school, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's sort of, yeah. It's a little bit of like a regimented kind of, you go to high school, then you go to college, then you get a real job and you raise a family. And, uh, I definitely didn't, uh, follow that, that set of instructions at all. Did it surprise <laughs> you a little bit when, uh, your one year turned into 16 years? You're kind of like, you know what? I guess here's a way to ask the question. Do you think you made the right choice? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been, uh, living a very happy and, you know, fulfilled life <laughs> for the last 16 years. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting rich anytime soon, but, um, you know, for me, money's, money's not the most important thing. Uh, my happiness has definitely been more important than, you know, than having a, a super fancy car or a really big house. Um, this is, this is what I want to be doing with my life. So that's, that's what I'm doing, you know? Wow. What do you think the biggest, um, hurdle of establishing a life in a resort area like Tahoe? What do you think the biggest hurdle you had to overcome was over the years? Whew. Um, you know, one of the, the, the biggest hurdles is kind of, you know, making a living in, in these types of areas can be a challenge. Um, and that's one of the, the, the biggest challenges for me, I think, is, is you know, finding a job that, that pays you well enough to support yourself in, a, in an expensive area like, you know, Tahoe or any other resort community, but also affords you the time to, to do the things you want to do while you live here. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't live in a, in a town like this if I couldn't play all the time, um, <clears throat> I'd, you know, I'd probably choose to live somewhere else because it's, it's a sacrifice to live up here. There's, you know, obviously the difficulty making money, but you know, there's other, there's other things going, it's a sacrifice, but it's also a, a privilege to live up here. So, but yeah, it's just the kind of the career path, you know, it, it I've, I've basically, I've been in the service industry working as a, a waiter for probably the better part of the last 15 years, just because it, it gives me the income that I need and the, and the schedule that I need to, to do what I do all the time. You know, that's a common theme. And it, I, mm -hmm. I think it's awesome because some people think that there's only one way to live life, you know, and I say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's probably not it. And some people say, well, there are a lot of ways to live life. And then some people say, you know what, I, I want to define what makes me happy, mm -hmm. you know, live a life and pursue a life that is rewarding to me. And, uh, you know, you can't blame someone for going for it. So, yeah people that I, that I talked to that made that call and they've been living in the resort towns and stuff like that. You know, it's just like you said, you got to do a lot of stuff. You got to be flexible. You got to be willing to work some jobs that may not be top wage earners, but man, the rewards that can come from that, the, the simple happiness and life experiences, you know, mm -hmm. those, those things are so valuable. So your benefits, you know, let's talk about corporate salaries. There's always the the salary plus the benefits, and usually the benefits are a little bit and the salary is a, a little bit more, you've turned that upside down, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You've got exactly. the benefits, man. <laughs> yeah. The benefits of the lifestyle that you love. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I like to think of it as the reverse retirement program. <laughs> well, you know, I read a book the other day. A guy was talking about why do we spend the best years of our lives 
trying to save enough so that someday we can go do what we want to do. And when that someday comes, we may not even be able to do what we want to do still. Right. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of the way I feel about it. I mean, I want to, I want to have the, you know, the, the health and the ability to do these things now when, when I, when I have the health and the, you know, and the physical ability. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I get it. Well, hey, describe Tahoe for us. For those of us who haven't been there much, tell us what it's like. Well, Lake Tahoe is um, a beautiful alpine lake nestled in the the northern Sierra Nevada mountains, uh, kind of on the California-Nevada border. Uh, the lake sits at about 6,200 feet in elevation, and it's completely surrounded in mountains. Um, you know, it's gorgeous year-round. Uh, there's... You know, in the summer, it's incredibly beautiful, really pleasant temperatures. Um, doesn't rain very much here in, in the summer. And then in the winter, it varies from year to year, but uh, the, the area is definitely prone to uh, copious amounts of snowfall. Um, last winter, in fact, was the wettest winter in recorded history up wow. here. And, um, you know, there's 13 or so ski areas in the, in the area and, you know, more, more backcountry skiing than, than you can ever do in a lifetime, you know, and then we're pretty, pretty ideally located to, to head North or South, um, you know, throughout the Sierra Nevada to, to go and explore the mountains further as well. Yeah. It's a cool central um, location. You know, I saw yeah. a picture online just a little bit ago and it was a wall of snow with something hanging on it or something. I kept looking, what is that? And I looked closer and I realized, oh, wait a minute, that's a ski lift. The snow <laughs> was to the top of the, of the ski lift, right? Yeah. <laughs> and they had plowed so you could see the edges of the chairs sticking out of the snow a little bit. <laughs> I was yep. like, now that's some snow. That's some snow, oh, yeah. Jeremy. That's craziness. Yeah, yeah it's... Uh... Last winter was one for the books for sure. It uh, it snowed and snowed and snowed. I can I can count on one hand or maybe two hands the number of days I didn't ski powder last year. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that is pretty wild. That is amazing. What is the snow like? Is it cold enough that you get the champagne powder, or is it often wet and heavier? Uh, it it definitely varies from storm to storm. Um, you know, we're pretty considered to be pretty maritime here so from time to time we do get that heavier more dense snow uh which when you when you live in this area you kind of grow to like that actually it it, uh it's something you get used to and you really start to enjoy but we also do get those really cold storms where you're you know you're getting snow over the shoulders and in the face every turn Mm. so it it definitely it varies and we we kind of get it all and yeah it's 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 really great so what time of the year does the, the season really start for you there? Uh, here the winter starts pretty much any time from sort of the end of October until uh, about the beginning of December. It just sort of depends on the, on the first couple winter storms and how cold they come through. Um, so I've skied as early you know, as the beginning of October out here, and sometimes you wait until the beginning of December as well. So, How's this year shaping up? Uh, so far we've had a little bit of snow up high, um, probably four or five days ago, it snowed a little over a foot on the crest and it rained down at lake level. Um, right now it's, 
we have a little bit of a rainstorm going on, but it's definitely snowing on the higher peaks. So the, the resorts are starting to make a little bit of snow and things are ramping up. So I think, you know, Mammoth opened today, Mammoth Mountain further south and then Boreal. So it's coming around. Uh, we just need the temps to drop a little bit and it'll it'll really start moving. Yeah, you just described what we're going through right here in central Colorado. <laughs> mm-hmm. that was that was a perfect description of, of what our early season had been so far that's yeah. funny yeah <laughs> uh you are a sponsored skier and i know that's that correct. helps that's got to help but what does that mean to be a sponsored skier for starters well um basically i you know i work with a variety of sponsors um and, you know, they, they give me free gear in exchange for me um, promoting their gear in a number of ways. Um, you know, currently, um, social media is one of the, the biggest platforms for promoting, you know, yourself or your sponsors. Um, you kind of have the biggest, the biggest reach, and it's one of the easiest ways to do that. Um, traditionally, it's been through working with photographers and getting your photo published, you know, in magazines and in national and local print, um, or, you know, working on video projects that, you know, that are online or kind of wherever. Um, for me, it's changed a bunch over the years. I've been doing this for, I've been a sponsor for, yeah, around 15 years now. And, you know, in the beginning we didn't have Instagram and, you know, things like that. So, it was definitely more focused on working with photographers and getting, getting published in magazines and things. Um, but now the focus seems to be shifting away from that. And it's more on creating social media content and sharing that with your sponsors and, you know, keeping that timely and fresh and, and pretty constant. Wild. Um, yeah. And for me, another, another one of the things that I've always, uh, done with sponsors is, um, kind of product development, product testing, um, kind of consultation on that sort of level as well, which has always been really interesting and really fun for me because it's a, it's a cool process that I really enjoy being a part of. Oh yeah. I get to try out the latest ideas. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's nice too, because, you know, when you ski a hundred plus days a year, every year you, you beat the the crap out of your equipment (laughs) regularly. (laughs) So whether it's outerwear, skis or boots, you know, you're definitely putting things through the ringer and, you know, you have a unique insight, um, as to, to how that stuff works. Right. So you definitely share that with them and and help in the development process is really kind of fun. I gotta kind of go back to the, the big story here. You know, you moved to Tahoe with a bunch of friends and you were going for a year, and then it turns into, so far, right, 16. Yeah, exactly. So how many of your friends stuck as well, or did they move on? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, all, um, yeah, everyone I moved out here with is no longer living out here. Um, a couple of them moved away after a year or two. A um, few of them stuck it out until just recently, but, you know, yeah, people have kind of um, grown up and maybe grown out of the lifestyle and sort of moved on and, and trying to do, you know, maybe more fulfilling things with their life in terms of, of work, especially. Um, 
So, yeah, I'm kind of the the last man standing in that group anyway. <laughs> well, I, I was kind of curious because not everybody can make it work, and not everybody should, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you've you've just shown us several ways that you've gone about making it work, and you know you worked the, in the food industry. Mm-hmm. You've written books. You've been a sponsored mm-hmm. skier. And, you know, I think that's what it takes. You've got to be able to pull from a lot of sources sometimes to Indeed. build a lifestyle that you want, right? Absolutely. So, last man standing in Tahoe, but you're still loving it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, it hasn't gotten old for me yet. <laughs> so, to be a sponsored skier, how good do you have to be? Uh, I mean, you know, you it definitely... I'd like to think you have to be really good to be sponsored. I know, um, you know, certainly the, uh, the, the, the arena has sort of changed a little bit over the years and now it's for some people, it's just based on their, you know, their social media reach, um, you know, things of that nature. But, you know, for me, it was, you know, being able to make the prettiest turn in front of a camera, you know, or, um, you know, shoot cool point of view videos and, and things like that. Um, so I like to think that I'm a pretty talented skier <laughs> and, um, I, I think my sponsors do as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, and then the people who really truly make a living skiing, like, you know, the, the big name pros who you might see in the, um, in the current crop of ski movies. I mean, those people are, are generally at a level that is, impressively high, you know, at all times, whether it's just their, their form while skiing or hitting cliffs and jumps. I mean, it's, it's really, it's pretty incredible. And living in a place like this, you get to meet and, and know a lot of those people. Some of them become, you know, your friends and you go skiing with them. And, you know, it's interesting that you're just, you're out on a tour with like a Red Bull athlete, you know, and right. it's just, it's just so-and-so from around the, you know, around the bend <laughs> just lives down the street. So, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a high level and yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to, trying to maintain that high level the older I get. <laughs> it's official. Winter has arrived and Bentgate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammoth, Solomon, Vole, Never Summer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear, as well as to get updates on all of their events. So you, you recently released two books. That's correct. I want to talk about the books, but before we dive into the books, 
specifically, let's talk about the sports that the books are about a little bit. So okay. let's talk uh, about mountain biking first, and then we'll we'll end with skiing since ski season's coming up. But you are also a mountain bike racer. That is correct. And so in April, you released Mountain Bike Tahoe, which is a guidebook that, let me see, it's 50 routes, right, around Tahoe? Yep. So tell us about mountain biking. How does that work out for you? I mean, some people are always looking for, what's my summer sport if I'm a skier in the wintertime? Is that how mountain biking got to you, or, or was it something else? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much. You know, I was, um, I started mountain biking when I was in my early teens. Uh, we had some trails around in Connecticut that were, that were pretty fun. And, you know, we just did it from time to time. And when I went to college, um, I, I didn't really like running all that much. And I was definitely putting on a few pounds, uh, you know, just partying in college and, and eating on the meal plan at the, you know, at school and things like that. So I was like, man, what can I do to get some exercise that's more fun than running? And I learned that there was a, uh, a network of trails kind of out the back of, of the campus of the school where I went. And um, I just kind of started riding my bike around those and exploring and figuring it out. And turns out it was a heck of a lot of fun and sort of got hooked. Um, and in college, yeah, as is now it's, it's sort of the, um, the thing that I do when I'm not skiing. So it's, it's, a, and it's a generally a pretty seamless transition between sort of the two sports. Like when, when ski season winds down, mountain bike season's just starting up and, and vice versa. So, you know, right now we're getting in our last rides of the year here in Tahoe and, you know, in a couple of weeks we'll probably be backcountry skiing. So, they, they really complement each other nicely. And typically the places where, at least in my experience, where you want to live to ski, there's also fantastic mountain biking. So it kind of works out. Well, for those who have never tried it, how would mm -hmm. you describe mountain biking? What's it like? <laughs> mountain biking is, oh man, it is, it is a ton of fun. It's one, you know, it's one of my favorite things in the entire world to do. It's, uh, man, hard to describe what it's like for me. It's, you know, it's freedom. It's, uh, it's challenge. It's, you know, it's all kinds of things and, and it can, you can make it as easier or as difficult as you want. And, you know, you basically, I'm a cross country rider. Um, I, I like to, to pedal up, up mountains and then, and ride down them. So, you know, it's a, it's a real thrill. It's, that's one of the, it's one of the most fun things to do in, in the entire world, in, in my opinion, and I can't get enough, enough of it. So describing what it's like is kind of challenging. I never thought of just, just describing what mountain biking is like to somebody who hasn't done it really. Yeah. One of my sons was the first one to say to me, you know, it, it's similar to skiing. I said, what? He goes, well, think about going down something and you're making these turns and you get into the, you know, you really get into the groove and it's just, you're, you're flowing with it. And, and he compared it to that, and I was thinking, yeah, that's all good until you crash. There's no snow to slide <laughs> on, you know? This is true. That's very true. And uh, that's a good analogy, though. I mean, it is it does have a similar feel to skiing in a lot of ways. Huh. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, let's talk a little bit about your mountain biking book, then. Excellent. So you said that it's a, it's a guide to 50 different trails in the Tahoe area. How many miles of trails are there? Ooh, gosh, there are hundreds of miles of, of mountain biking around here. Um, the Tahoe Basin itself, the U.S. 
Forest Service, I believe, claims there's 194 miles of, of trails that are open to mountain bikes in the, just in the Tahoe Basin. Um, so then the book itself includes you know, most of those trails, but then also trails in north of Tahoe in a town called Truckee. And then I uh, laid out some other riding sort of in the vicinity of Tahoe that's kind of nearby, like within an hour. And I mean, there's three, 400 miles of, of mountain biking around here. Wow. And probably, and probably even more than that, really. A friend of mine was just telling me this week how fun it is to do destination mountain biking. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. throw your, throw your bike on your car and pick a place you want to go see and go there and mountain bike. So it's kind of like touring and vacation and, and all of that, but you, you do it with the mountain bike in mind. What I find yeah. is a challenge to that is you don't know anything about the trails when you go to a new place. It's like, well, how do I get to a trailhead, right? Where do I turn yeah. when the trail splits? And how do I, you know, how do I get back again? Well, it sounds like a guidebook, like what you've put out here might be a real resource for that. Oh, precisely. And that was, you know, that was definitely the goal. Um, and not even just for visitors, certainly would be helpful for, for destination mountain bikers, of course, but, um, you know, even a lot of the, the locals who live around here, you know, there's, there's so much riding that a lot of people haven't branched out and experienced all of it. So, it's definitely, you know, for everyone really. Um, and I agree. I feel the same way. Like when I travel somewhere, you know, to go riding, it's, it's often a challenge to figure out where to go and what, what to expect once you get there. So, um, that's definitely the goal with the book. Mm, that's pretty cool. So how did you get to be the guy to write the book? <laughs> Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know, mountain biking is kind of my, the yin to my skiing yang. So I, I bring the same approach to mountain biking as I do to skiing. I, um, I sort of do it obsessively and it, it's what makes me happy, um, when there isn't snow on the ground. So, um, you know, working at night and kind of prioritizing time to go play in the daytime, I've just spent years and years and years just exploring all of the trails around here and trying to trying to ride everything and and see it all and do it all um and i've always had a little bit of a sort of a really good memory for finding my way places and and you know i memorize trails as i ride them so like when i go back i can tell people you know there's a rock around that corner and then you go over this little roll and then you know it's it's this odd like photographic memory that I have for that type of activity. And, um, yeah, I just, just experience and time. I've spent so much time riding my bike on these trails around here that it's, it's kind of absurd actually. Well, <laughs> that's awesome. So what yeah. type of bike is your flavor of the year or flavor of the month or flavor of the week? What are you riding these days? Oh, I ride. Currently, I have an Ibis uh, Ripley LS, which is um, uh, sort of a mid-travel uh, 29-inch, uh, 29-inch bike. And so, kind of an enduro bike. Yeah, it's definitely an enduro style. Um, it's I wouldn't I don't know if I'd call it an enduro bike. It's a trail bike for sure. So it's definitely you know designed for rough kind of all mountain riding, but it's very capable 
of climbing and going on those long, you know, epics as well. Okay. Well, we could do show after show after show on mountain biking, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what do you think is critical in a mountain bike for the kind of riding you like to do? Or let me rephrase it this way. What's the best kind of mountain bike for riding in Tahoe? Oh man. Uh, well, one of the things I always say is the best, the best mountain bike is the one that you have. Right. Um, <laughs> and just, just getting out and using it and riding it is, is the key to it all. But you know, when you have the chance to really upgrade your bike and, and get kind of a fancy new bike, it's, it's always worth the expense in my opinion. Um, so honestly around here, dual suspension is pretty crucial. Um, we have pretty rough and rocky trails and, you know, modern bikes these days, they change so fast and they're always just seem to be getting better. So, I mean, it's pretty much anything is, is good. As long as you have a few inches of travel front and back and nice fat knobby tires, you'll okay. be, you'll be happy around here. Yeah. Well, just so we can like fly through some stuff, I'm going to name, uh, something about a bike and, and you give us a one to 10, how important you think it is. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, front suspension. Uh, that is a, a, a 10 in importance. That is absolutely necessary. Okay. Rear suspension. Also a 10. Also a 10. Okay. What about lockouts for front suspension? Um, not necessary, but definitely nice. I would say, you know, around like a, a five. What about a lockout for the rear suspension? Uh, I would put that a little, a little higher in importance than lockout for the front. So I'd say maybe like a seven. It's mm. nice for the prolong for the extended climbs to, to lock that out for efficiency. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about a, a dropper post? Dropper post, I think is one of the greatest inventions ever in the history of mountain biking. Wow. So I would, I would say that is a 10. Awesome. I think dropper posts have changed the sport of mountain biking. It's, it's my personal opinion. It's like, I don't know how we lived without them and yet, <laughs> yet we, yet we did. And, and mountain biking was really fun without them, but it is, it is a different ball game now. Yeah. What about a little bit slacker frame geometry? Um, yeah, geometry is, is definitely even changing a lot in recent years. And I think that the modern trend to slack in head tube angles and lower bottom brackets definitely makes for a more stable ride in a lot of situations. Um, you know, for me personally, I like a slack head tube, but it's not necessarily the right thing for everyone. So it depends on your riding style and where you ride, but uh, I think it's pretty important for me personally. Do you ride clipless pedals or platforms? Uh, I ride clipless. And have you ever tried the platforms? How would you compare them? Uh, I have tried platforms. Um, I, I like both, definitely. But um, I'm personally more comfortable and more used to riding um, clipped in. Okay. Uh, I think it's a little, I believe it's a little more efficient energy-wise too. And as a mountain bike racer, I'm always kind of looking for the edge. So, um, you know, I prefer, I prefer it, but I, I see where... Um, I see both sides of the coin on the pedal, the pedal thing. All right. Well, I'm not going to dive much deeper, but, uh, <laughs> rotation weight on your tires. How important is it to be light? Um, 
in a race situation, it's important to, to lighten the rotational weight, I think on, on your wheels and tires, um, for durability purposes, I'd say, you know, <laughs> the lighter isn't always better. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. thanks for that. That helps actually. Absolutely. So there are going to be a lot of people who are like, man, he's talking about all the latest technology and bikes and, and, and all that kind of stuff. What's he talking about? Well, I think we just went down a pretty good punch list there. There you go. Yeah. And of, of course, everyone always says lighter is, is better, but if you get a lighter bike, you're going to have a lighter pocketbook too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a, <laughs> you can get, you can spend so much money on a bike these days and you can also spend a reasonable amount of money on a bike and, and have just as much fun, I think for, you know, a little bit of a weight penalty and you'll, you'll be just as happy, I think. Yeah. I think the, the cost benefit ratio starts to go down as the price of the bike goes up pretty fast, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. I've been on some really great bikes and they're nice, but I did, I don't mm-hmm. want to spend the coin. So I have a ball on my bike and it's not that high end, you know, but man, do I have fun. Exactly. Yeah. It's no matter what, no matter what you have, you're going to generally have a pretty good time. Okay. So if someone's going to Tahoe, they want to go mountain biking, they want to know what to expect when they get there. And then they want to know how to find their way around. Once they do, the book is mountain bike Tahoe by Jeremy Benson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I assume that's on Amazon. It is available on Amazon and it's available at kind of local retailers throughout this area. Um, Bigger stores as well. Barnes and Nobles, REI. I believe I saw it in Costco. Um, So. Right on. (laughs) Yeah, it's all around. You know, we might be smack dab in the middle of winter these days, but spring is really just right around the corner. Make sure you've got one of our lightweight camp stoves ready to go in your pack for when the weather starts turning warmer. Both the 180 stove and the 180 flame are designed to burn the abundant wood fuels you find on the ground instead of requiring you to haul in heavy, messy camp fuels. Take a minute to head on over to our site at www.180tack.com to check out these American-made stoves that are built to last. You'll be helping us, and you'll be helping the Adventure Sports Podcast. Thanks, guys. Okay, we got to shift gears, man. The season is changing. The snow's on the way. So now we got to talk about your backcountry ski and snowboard routes book that this one just came out, what, October? Yep. Yeah, mid October, finally shipped and arrived in all the local stores here. So it was very exciting for me to to finally have this project be finished. Man, it's got to (laughs) take a ton of work. So, what did it take to be the man to write the ski book? Oh man, similar, similar to, to being the man to write a mountain bike book. I've, you know, like, like I said, I've, I've definitely prioritized my recreational pursuits in my life. Um, and you know, one of, one of the main driving forces in my entire life has been snow and skiing. It's sort of dictated kind of where I've, where I went to college, where I moved after college. And, and the fact that I've stayed here for so long has been because I love skiing and, um, you know, I've just taken the time in my life to, to ski as much as I possibly can while I, while I can. And, uh, 
I've definitely fallen deeply in love with backcountry skiing and pursue that almost exclusively. And, um, you know, that's, that's brought me all over the state of California to ski everywhere I possibly can. Uh, I really enjoy skiing lines and mountains that I've never been on before. Um, experiencing something new is what keeps it really interesting and fresh for me. So I've just been doing that for years and years and years. And, um, and then uh, I've worked as a freelance writer over time as well. And um, Mountaineers Books was seeking somebody to write this specific book for them. And they spoke with uh, a person, one of my editors from some, some other work who recommended me as a person who might be able to write this book. So they kind of called me up out of the blue one day and asked me if I was interested in doing it. Wow. So it's so cool when you get the publisher before you write the book. (laughs) That works, man. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, it came as a little bit of a shock to me when, when I got that phone call, I wasn't really expecting anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I got all kind of snowballed from there. Well, congratulations. You know, thank you. Isn't it fun when you do things that you love and in the end it turns into, um, an opportunity to, to promote, what you love as well as to earn back some of the expense that it costs you to continue to do what you love. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. That's just, that's great. So yeah. backcountry ski and snowboard, let's talk about the progression from alpine skiing to backcountry skiing. I know mm-hmm. that a lot of people try alpine skiing because that's really available, you know? Yeah. But then over time, it seems like a lot of people graduate and they go into the backcountry so what was that like for you? Tell us that story. Uh, for me, we, we started kind of backcountry skiing when I was in college. I went to uh, St. Michael's College just outside of Burlington, Vermont. And at the time, we skied mostly at a resort called Stowe, uh, which is probably one of, the, one of the premier resorts on the East Coast. And they have open boundaries at the ski resort. So we would always, you know, be heading out into the woods and skiing these runs through the trees. And there was some hiking, hiking you could do off the tops of the lifts and you're skiing down these East coast kind of Creek gullies, um, which, you know, it was technically all backcountry skiing and, and, uh, we got pretty into that at, in college. And so when I moved out to Tahoe, you know, automatically that's kind of where my head was at. I was, um, skiing at a resort called Alpine Meadows and a lot of the terrain there you have to sort of hike along ridges to get to and and they had open boundaries as well so you could you know hike beyond that boundary and, and go into the backcountry and um, I was always just sort of looking for fresh snow and and not crossing anyone's tracks and you know it just kept kind of perpetuating itself uh, that I, I just wanted to to go where I hadn't been before. And, and so my, my eyes were wandering and everything I saw around here, I just kind of wanted to go and ski. So I got myself a backcountry setup that first year I lived out here and grab, you know, found a bunch of friends who were interested in exploring just like me. And we, we sort of just headed out and <laughs> tried to figure everything out for ourselves. Wow. I always like to throw the, the warnings you know, we gotta we gotta do the the backcountry ski warnings for people that don't know, because so many people alpine ski where actually the the ski area is taking care of them as best as they can. 
when you go mm-hmm. into the back country, it's all on you, right? Absolutely. Yep. And, uh, just avalanche danger, right? Um, yeah. Having enough backcountry skill that mm-hmm. you can manage the terrain and not get yourself in too much trouble. Know how to get yourself out of a bind when you get into one. Absolutely. Having the right gear, so if you had to spend the night out there, you could. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, what, yeah the, what do you recommend? I feel like there's a lot of prerequisites to to backcountry skiing. Um, personally, I think that. Um, a, a relatively high ability level as a skier is an important, a very important stepping stone to starting to backcountry ski. Um, I feel like a lot of people nowadays are trying to skip that, that step and just go, you know, like, Oh, I'm an intermediate skier. I'm just going to start backcountry skiing. And you're like, well, <laughs> you know, there's the margin for error is a lot lower out there, you know? So I like to, to try to, to, you know, to express that, that I think it's definitely a more advanced skill level out in, in that, in that type of situation, but also, um, yeah, avalanche education is crucial. Um, having, having the avalanche equipment and most importantly, knowing how to use it is a must and definitely some first aid training is always huge, I think as well, because, you know, anything can happen. So, um, I think those are very important things that you want to to have under your belt before you even really start exploring the backcountry. So we're talking about a probe, a shovel, a beacon. Uh, what Absolutely. about the airbag? Um, airbags, you know, I, they're, <laughs> they're, they're a great tool, I think. And I personally, I have one. Um, I don't use it all the time, but, um, I think airbags, are something that you perhaps want to have and you absolutely never want to use. Right. <laughs> um, so, you know, like that's sort of, you know, decision-making I think is one of the most important skills uh, in backcountry skiing. And, you know, if you ever take your, you know, your equipment out of your bag for anything other than digging a pit, then, you know, you've, you've messed up on so many levels at that point that, you know, that decision-making should have, should have prevented, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's a good way to say it. It really mm-hmm. is. You want all that equipment that's in your bag there, all that Abby equipment. You want that stuff mm-hmm. to be the emergency equipment, <laughs> not mm-hmm. the, oh, this is how I, how I do this every day equipment. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, um, yeah, for me, decision-making is one of the most important parts of, of the whole, the whole game out there. Well, unpack that a little bit for us. Decision making is kind of a broad term. Um, mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? What kind of decisions are we talking about? Um, you know, I'll, you know, from from the moment you wake up in the morning and you and you know you're going back and skiing that day, um, you know, using the information that you have available to you, whether it's uh, well weather information, um, avalanche advisories, uh, avalanche observations that you might find online. Um, you know, taking, taking this information that you have available to you and then plugging that into, you know, your, the plan that you make for the day. Um, you know, that's, that's the first, the first step. And then as you, as you get out there in, in the day, like just observing, observing things around you, um, and, and making decisions according to, 
the information that you have and what you see and, and kind of, you know, being safe <laughs> based on that, based on that stuff. You know, what's, what's nuts about backcountry skiing is that you're kind of on the razor's edge a lot. The, the best terrain is the best avalanche terrain, right? Typically. And, yep. And then, uh, there's also that, well, what could you call it? And mountaineers talk about summit fever where mm-hmm. they get, you know, they, they, they take too many chances to get to the summit experience and good mm-hmm. mountaineers have learned how to manage that. I think for mm-hmm. backcountry skiing, it, it might be, I want a few more turns or look at that pal right there, or you know what I mean? It's, it's the epic run mm-hmm. fever maybe, and you have to have the wisdom, Absolutely. right? So how do yeah, you yeah, call you... it, man? How do you know when, no, that's a step too far. I'm not doing it. Um, you know, I'm definitely a goal oriented skier. Like I have, um, you know, certain runs in mind that I want to do. And, you know, for me being healthy and, and being able to ski tomorrow is just as important as being able to ski today. And I I try to call it as I see it when I'm out there and, and make decisions based on what's happening around me and, and, you know, going home safe and seeing my wife and, you know, waking up tomorrow and being able to do it again is, is of the utmost importance to me. So, um, you know, I've had my 15 minutes of like, you know, want to be pro skier fame and, and now it's just about being out there and having fun and, and, you know, enjoying another day. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever so. triggered a, a big slide? Uh, I have triggered a lot of avalanches in my life. Yes, absolutely. Um, and most of the time when I trigger avalanches, it, I'm, I do it on purpose. You know, if um, you, know, you get to a, a windswept ridge, you know, and you're thinking about skiing in this area, you know, we like to, I, I drop cornices a lot and I kick slopes a lot, um, you know, as my own personal stability tests. And yeah, you definitely trigger lots of mostly lots of small avalanches. Um, I haven't, I don't believe I've triggered too many like huge and catastrophic ones. Have you ever Um, had an instance where you needed that airbag? Uh, I personally have not. No. Um, I've never been carried in an avalanche. I've never been buried in an avalanche. Um, you know, I've had, I've had friends who've died in avalanches, but Mm. me personally, I've, um, you know, been relatively successful in avoiding those types of situations. Well, you know, I don't want to spend all our time on avalanches, but I just want everyone to know that it's a real thing. And when you oh, see that amazing cache of powder, you know, and you're going, oh, yeah, let's go hit that. Well, do the math, figure it out, <laughs> make sure you can do it safely, right? It's just not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, in the end, we're we're not in charge out there at all. You know, we're we're simply passing through, you know, and, and, um, you know, mother nature and just, you know, those things it's, it's highly variable and, and it's, it's, it's definitely a game of chance. So you have to take as calculated of risks as you possibly can in, in those situations. Sure. Well, describe yeah. what you would, what you would think of as a near perfect backcountry ski day to us. So people know what this is all about. All right. Well, I, I live in, in Tahoe. Uh, I live, you know, California. We're known for our, for our sunny days and our, and our big snowfalls. So, um, you know, that being said, some of my favorite days 
are the storm days around here. Um, our snow is typically the lightest and fluffiest while it's still falling. And we have a lot of um, sheltered tree runs around here that, that we definitely like to, to frequent uh, during storms. And those are definitely some of my favorite days. You know, it, it, it snows out here inch, inch or two an hour sometimes. Wow. And you can just be out there, you know, with a couple friends in, in places that, you know, are, are, are relatively safe, you know, for skiing in those types of conditions and just, you know, just ski powder all day and, you know, your tracks are filling in every run. And <clears throat> those are definitely some of my, my dream days. Um, but there's a lot of variety in, in California in terms of our skiing. You know, we have volcanoes in the north and, you know, the mountains of Tahoe here, which top out around, you know, nine, 10,000 feet. And then the further south you head in the state, the larger the mountains get. So, you know, some of my other favorite days are, are the big, um, the big spring touring days down on the, the east side where you're, you're skiing 8,000 vert runs, mm. um, you know, from, you know, from 13 plus to 14,000 feet down to, you know, down to the high desert and the sagebrush at 7,000 feet. So, you know, the, the beauty and the, and the size and the magnitude of the mountains down there is, is kind of overwhelming. And, and those experiences are always top in my book as well. Wow. So let's go to your book a little bit, Backcountry Skiing, yeah. Snowboard Routes. Um, mm-hmm. How many routes are documented in the book? Ooh, we have, um, I think the final number is 99. 99. <laughs> I, I couldn't hit a hundred. I tried so hard. <laughs> 99 is awesome though. And you know what I love about that is it says there's one more to be done. You know, <laughs> it kind of calls oh, to you, doesn't it? Yeah. That's fun. There's a million more to be done. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. Yeah. So yeah. what can someone expect from this book? If they get the book, uh, then are they going to get a lot of the Abbey skill training from this book? Or are they really just getting the, this is the, the where and the how? Well, um, you know, this book is definitely not a substitute for any sort of backcountry training or avalanche training. Um, in the beginning of the book, I do take some time to lay out, uh, you know, some essential gear and, you know, basic skills that you should have and, and definitely touch on avalanche safety. Um, but those are the things that you definitely need to go out on your own and, and do, um, Definitely taking a course and, and getting the practical skills is, I think, very necessary to really absorb that type of information. So um, kind of lay that out. And, and then I also provide a list of resources in this area where you can go and get that training on your own. Right on. And then the bulk yeah. of the book is really describing the routes then? Primarily, yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know a lot of route descriptions. There's detailed maps and photographs as well for every route. Um, you know, information to get to the, to the trailheads. Um, yeah, try to, I try to put it all in there. (laughs) What about the decision-making? You know, when you get to one of the routes that's in the book, conditions are so variable, man. When Mm -hmm. do you ski and when do you decide not to ski? Um, you know, the, decision-making is definitely left up to the, to the end user. And, you know, that's, it's just so dependent on, on weather, snowpack, um, 
variables like that that you know you have to make those that call on the on those days so for me i like to ski good conditions <laughs> only so i try to um to choose the routes accordingly based on the on the current weather and the current snowpack so okay you know, that's hopefully that's hopefully something people can those are skills that you sort of learn over time and i included aspect information and and things like that in there so that hopefully people can pick their routes based on, you know, those factors like weather and snowpack. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the, the range of risk and difficulty is going to be different from route to route. Do you have a, a broad mm -hmm. breadth or, you know, would you call this, well, here's your kind of beginner route and here's the super advanced route. Or are they all more level? Um, you know, I tried to, to provide a whole sort of spectrum of difficulty in, in the routes here and, you know, and difficulty, not only in like steepness and, and, you know, things like that, but also in, you know, the size, the size of a tour, for example, like the amount of vertical you might experience on a day. And I, I created a little bit of a rating scale, um, for both. So, so I, I rate the, the difficulty in, you know, effort as well as the difficulty in terrain um, on two separate scales for each route. Mm. And I try to try to give a big spectrum. So, you know, there's shorter tours and then there's all day, you know, suffer fests as well as some overnight stuff as well. Right on. And what about gear wise? Um, do you have to have like a uh, technical rock climbing or mountaineering gear for some of these routes or can you skin up pretty much all of them? Um, you know, for the most part, um, there's, there's almost nothing in my book that involves harnesses and ropes. So virtually everything is, you know, skins or quite a few of them are involved crampons and an ice axe. And then there's a, a couple options that are listed in here that you might want <laughs> a rope for, but those are, those are very few and far between. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, re really approachable. Like I wanted this book to not be just a list of like the most extreme things that you can go ski in this year. I wanted it to be something that, that has a lot of variety and, you know, a lot of routes that are, that are uh, approachable, kind of repeatable from year to year. Um, you know, and just to, to sort of lay out what makes, what I think makes backcountry skiing in the state of California some of the best kind of in the entire world. Right on. Well, it's a beautiful resource, yeah. man. Thanks for Thank you. putting all your years of experience down so that other people can benefit from that. You know, that's, that's absolutely. So cool. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's really what it was about for me was I've, I've personally benefited so much from using ski guidebooks in my life. Um, you know, the giving me, you know, sort of goals and, you know, a checklist of things to check out has, has really helped, helped me explore and, and, you know, sort of prompted this in a lot of ways for me. So to have the opportunity to do that for other people was, um, definitely one that I couldn't pass up. So the book is Backcountry Ski and Snowboard Routes, California by Jeremy <laughs> Benson. Man, that's awesome. Yes, that's Thank awesome. You. Well, hey, we're running out of time, Jeremy, but I'll bet you have a, a million and one stories about experiences that you've had skiing or mountain biking. Mm -hmm. Does something stand out that was especially 
impacting or or funny that you'd like to share with us just kind of as a parting shot? It all kind of stands out to me, you know, like the I've been so incredibly blessed in in my life to just be able to to pursue these sports uh, in the way that I have. Like it it completely boggles my mind that that this is my life, you know, just just doing what I love. Um and uh yeah, I couldn't be happier to to be where I am in my life and you know to to have the opportunity to write these books and share share that those experiences with other people is really something that I, I I'm amazed that I've had the opportunity to do. And I'm, I'm really happy just to be here right now. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today to share with us what life in Tahoe is like about your own personal journey and getting there and staying there and about these books. I think it's really cool. We appreciate your time, man. Of course. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Oh, you bet. And for all of our listeners out there, Wow, you can't beat these two sports. You know, skiing and snowboarding and mountain biking. Do that. Get out there. Have some fun. Coming up on Thursday's episode, Will Collins returns to tell us the rest of the story about his canoe trip, the length of the Mississippi River. Until then, get out and have some fun. You're not leaving yet, are you? Why don't you do yourself and us a favor and become a member of our Facebook group. In there, you can hear about some awesome adventures, learn how to do new ones, and share what you've been up to. And while you're on the web, do us a favor and go over to patreon.com slash adventuresportspodcast and consider becoming a patron to help the show. You can also find a link to patron at the top of our website at adventuresportspodcast.com. As always, thanks for listening, guys.